1: We're converting people one stomach at a time to what fresh food can taste like.
2: You use whatever you can use and you respect every bit of it.
1: You know, if it's in season, you use it. We need to study and we need to read and we need to know about our region and what it's doing before we can start putting things on dishes. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Quicksand Food Connection. Today, I speak with Cressida and Michael McNamara from Pecora Dairy in Robertson. Cressida and Michael are very passionate people. They're cheesemakers, they're farmers, and they milk and breed East Frisian dairy sheep to produce their beautiful cheeses. Their products are found on the menus of some of Australia's highest-achieving restaurants, and they're absolutely beautiful. Their farm is surrounded by rainforest, and the sheep that live there Graze on the natural environment which gives their milk a very unique flavor profile and makes their cheeses very unique themselves it's a beautiful place they're very nice people and i really enjoyed talking to them so i hope you enjoy this chat with michael and cressida mcnamara from pecora dairy yeah i mean thanks for having me out here to start with it's a beautiful spot um yeah, I mean, it must be—it's a small community, I guess. The Robertson community, and you know, being just here on Jamboree Mountain in the forest, um,
2: you're a part of the local community, obviously. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, to, to set the picture, I mean, you've um, you've taken a few shots, and you know, it's in the afternoon here at Robertson, and typically it started to rain and drizzle, and um, and the and the sheep are busy eating the beautiful grass, but you know, we're we're perched up here on the mountain just behind Jambaroo. Um, so, you know, in the afternoon, the mist rolls in and, you know, we've got all these really lush, dark, dense rainforests, um, areas all around the, all around the property with lots of creeks. And so it's a, it's a really special place. Um, the three creeks that we've got running through the property are all natural spring water that, um, that has started from our property on top of the mountain, so it's a so it's a really special place. Yeah,
0: and it's a really suitable place for the breed of sheep that we're milking, and really it's part of our underlying philosophy to have all this amazing rainforest and all the microclimate and the the birds and animals that go with that is all really essential to um, milking these beautiful sheep and getting the very best milk that we can to produce our cheeses.
1: Yeah, that's great, and so the breeds are. East regions. So we
0: yeah we milk pure East regions here, um, and they're really suited to this very high rainfall climate in uh, in Robertson. They're originally from the Netherlands, so they're they're not uh, they're not unfamiliar with the cold climates and and the wet. So they actually do really well here, and they need this beautiful deep rich soil which produces amazing dairy pasture um, together with some of our native pastures, which um, really they, they they need that to milk really well basically. Mm.
1: And they and they produce a high amount of milk as well. So yeah. they do.
0: They're the highest uh, highest producers in the world, and they're milking about one point two liters a day. Yeah. So um, yeah, and it's a very nutritious milk. Sheep milk. It's um, it's double the solids of cows' milk. So whilst obviously cows produce a lot more, we can uh, we can produce double the cheese. So if you've got ten liters of cows' milk, you get a kilo of cheese. You need five liters of sheep milk. To get a kilo of cheese, so it's a very dense, nutritious, rich milk. It Mm. It,
2: it is interesting also that people know sheep as being grazers, and sure, and they graze on the beautiful, rich grass that we've got. But they're also browsers, you know. So, Mm -hmm. um, so we've got lots of um, tree fern and undergrowth and rainforest, and the sheep will go about their day, and they'll nibble on a bit of bracken here um take some leaves off some native shrub there um, and you know they're getting they're getting not only all the vitamins and minerals and nutrition that they need but it's also creating um, that the herbs and the and the and the different foliage that they're eating contribute to the quite unique milk that mm-hmm. they're producing so we try and be quite um not heavy-handed we try and be quite gentle with the way that we make cheese so you'll never find strong flavors in our cheese because we want those those beautiful characteristics of the of the of the pristine pure environment that we've got Mm -hmm. we want those to come through
1: yeah that's great and it completes the whole story really having having animals that are eating the you know, the the grasses and the, the foliage that's native to this area and that translating into the flavour of the milk they produce and then into the cheese that you produce. And you can sort of, as you say, you don't want to produce things with extremely strong flavours and um, you can follow that all the way through and just complete that story.
0: It really does. And it's also, um, we're very seasonal here, so we work in tune with the seasons. Um, and the, during the lactation of the sheep, the milk will change. So it's our skill as cheesemakers and our challenge to work with that milk as it changes over the lactation and uh, produce the cheeses. But it's one of the very new, unique things, mm-hmm. um, actually milking our own animals and, and using that milk throughout the seasons to make cheese. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. That's great. And it, it is one of those things that it you are going to get... It's an education process to... Let people know that you are going to get variability in some of our cheeses from through the season. Yeah. Um, so our blues will be softer during winter and a bit firmer during the spring and summer and a bit earthier at some other times. And that's not a, that's not a that's not a fault at all. Mm. That's just the expression of the season. And when you run a, when you run an operation like ours, which is full circle, which is seasonal, we, where every year um, the same thing happens. The girls have a break in the middle of winter, and then lamb down, and then and then milk for the for most of the year, and then start all over again. And they do that every single year. So th- there is going to be changes to the there is going to be changes to the milk from one end of their their lactation to the other, and um, and it's about our story to let people know about what that is how it's expressing itself through the milk and if there are minor changes in the cheese in the same styles of cheese from one end of the season to the other being able to explain why that is rather than um, once upon a time inconsistency was a dirty word Mm -hmm. and it is if you're using the same old milk every time and you're making a different cheese every time we're making cheeses that are beautifully consistent from one week to the next but will change throughout the season mm. and that's that's the difference mm. and
1: i think you know being a small operation like yours as well and distributing a lot to restaurants you can liaise with the chef about the characters that from week to week that that your cheeses have and chefs are interested in that sort of thing and especially when it translates and, and it stems from seasonality as well they can work with those nuances of a cheese of a certain time of the year to the next and you can talk to them about that and then they can work that into the seasonality of their menu which is, which is interesting and it, it sort of again continues this, this, this story yeah so I reckon that's a really cool thing yeah. and, and, and it's something that, that isn't necessarily available to a larger, a larger producer um, who doesn't have direct contact with the chefs that they produce that they supply um, yeah
0: and we really do um, value that relationship that we have with chefs um, and we you know we to talk to them um, as the cheeses come through and as as you say as they change you know we'll be talking to them and letting them know how things are going on the farm and how and how that's going to impact what they're going to receive mm.
1: yeah that's great um, taking taking you back to the East Frisian breed was it was it hard to get started? How did how did you go about finding the breed and about um, you know you're trying to sort of create as much purity
2: as you can in, in the breed while you like in this location was it was yeah. it a challenge? Yes, um, yes, it was a challenge. Um, there's only a handful of producers in Australia that that um, uh, of studs that have got really good genetics um, and. We've been working with one or two breeders over the years that we know have been able to um, keep records, um, where we know that where we know the, um, uh, where we know the stock of of the animals and where we know the pedigree of the animals that we're picking up. Um, but even so, we start from a limited base. So whereas we can, Um, whereas if you were a cow producer and you wanted to get to scale on day one, you just pick up the phone and call a broker and ask and, and get them to send you a couple of hundred heifers and that's fine. They'll be available. But for East, um, for East Frisians, we've had to breed, we've had to breed them ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's a long, there's a long lag time. You know, you, you, from the time that, um, from the time that the ewe is inseminated through the, through to when that um, the the subsequent lamb grows out and then can become a mother and a and a dairy ewe herself, you know that's a that's a three year period. So it takes it takes a long time, and amongst that there is selection. There's there's animals that don't make the grade, there's animals that do, then you've got to select rams. So it is a slow process. But having said that, it has meant that we're just about the only ones in the country who are milking these pure East Frisians and have got the records and are improving the breed and have got that stock. So Mm -hmm. we we feel we're custodians of the breed. Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully one day... Other people that will enter the industry will thank us for um, for developing the the, the the genetics and the integrity of the breed to the point that we have. Hmm. Um. Yeah, that's fantastic.
1: And are you looking to sort of increase your flock numbers over the years as well? Do you see a point where? you know you've got a number that you're happy with and you want to stay there or is this something that will just continue to develop
0: we are still in our growth phase we do still want to milk more sheep we certainly have the demand we can't keep up at the moment which is a good problem to have Um, but we've got the land and we've got the land we're very understocked um as it is at the moment but we will um get to a point where Um, where we feel that we're at capacity and that will be um, based on what's best for the sheep but also what Michael and I can can do Um, whilst we, at the moment, we don't have any staff with us um, and we will be employing people um, relatively soon but we always want to be in a position where we're in control of both the dairying and the cheese making Mm -hmm. Um, so we don't want to be in a position where we're managing staff rather than managing sheep and making cheese.
1: Yeah, that's cool and... You know I think that a lot of a lot of people like at the end of the day you're running a business as well and a, and a lot of people can just you know see scaling their business and increasing their their, their numbers as much as possible as something that's desirable but you know if you lose that control that you're talking about then the first thing to suffer is the
2: product quality yeah Excellent. it's entire it's entirely natural for people to think growth 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 and um, and even, even we've had to, we've had those thoughts. You know, how big could we grow? How big could we get? But invariably, that's more of an um, an ego consideration than an economic one, mm-hmm. because um, because the, there is a there is a sweet spot where um, where you've got um, where you're making a decent amount of money. And being and being quite hands on, and the further you grow, um, the more the more headaches, the increasing cost base, and you end up chasing your tail, having to yeah. invest in more capital, then reinvesting in more labour. You know, and it can just spiral. And you've got to, at some point, you've always, I think, as a business people, you've got to say to yourself, at what at what point. Um, do we need to scale to and stop? Mm-hmm. At what point... Yeah, at the at point w- of diminishing returns, essentially. Right? Yes. Yeah. At, at, at what point can we make a buck and have a good lifestyle and be still gentle on our animals, mm. the farm, our family, and be, and be reasonably hands-on? I think Chris and I both um, both appreciate that if we were just farmers and just milking sheep, um Or, on the other hand, if we were just wearing um, hand nets and white coats all day, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of the gloss would probably come off what we do. I think the thing that we love is that in the same day, we might be, we might be doing um, we might be doing animal animal maintenance, animal husbandry, We'll be doing we'll be making cheese, and then we'll be milking sheep. Mm-hmm. It means that we go through a lot of changes of clothes, but it does—it does, it does <laughs> mean that we've got—we've got, we've got a, a wonderful, varied, fulfilling um, life, and it—and it—it does mean that you know we are challenged all yeah. the time. Ta- all the time, we're learning. Um, there's still so much to learning what we do, yeah. but yeah, but um, but we're really enjoying what we do and we really we've you know found our life's calling and um and and i i think that that'll um pay dividends with the cheese and the sheep and yeah and, and, and it is a life's work and also our children who are enjoying it with coming along the ride with us yeah, yeah. that's yeah. fantastic mm-hmm.
1: how, how how did it how did it start where, where did the decision originally spike to start producing cheese, cheese, yeah. cheese look
0: we've we've always had an interest in um the science of food um and, and animals, I suppose. Uh, securing this land in Robertson was one of the decisions, one that helped us made the, make the decision to actually leap in and do it. As Michael was explaining earlier, it did take us a long while to set up, probably took us just over seven years um, to breed the sheep and um, build the infrastructure on the property, but it's just such an incredibly suitable piece of land that we've mm. got here and such an amazingly beautiful piece of land that we wanted to do something really, really special with it. So... We had a kernel of an idea, and then other things slotted in around that, that, which allowed us to to inch forward and and then to start the business commercially. Mm-hmm. It also
2: suits our our skill sets. You know, whilst we whilst we work on everything together, um, I suppose I, I suppose I'm more of the cheese geek, and Cressida's more of um, has a pa- absolute passion for the animals and the farm management and uh, and so our, our skills really combine um so that we can so we can work together and and um for, for the benefit of the of the one project and you know and, and you know we're enjoying ourselves and it works that's great yeah.
1: yeah and as you said i mean it's an ongoing process and it's a learning process constantly and you know if you're always challenged by what you do and you enjoy it and and you learn something new all the time. And that also translates, like your enjoyment of what you do translates into quality when it comes to your product as well. You know, if you're, if, you're, if you're fed up with a job and um, you know, you're just used to doing the same thing over and over and you're not learning things and you're not challenged, you, you'll get it done as quickly as you can, and you just get it over and done with, and that's finished. And you probably won't have the care and um, and and that stuff required to you know produce the highest quality product you can. So mm-hmm. yeah, you exactly. know that's that's all, it's awesome to be able to sort of balance all those things together, and you know and enjoy it challenge yourself learn and i mean i try to follow the same sort of model you know with doing what i do you know mm. continue pushing in different areas and learn and learning things and stuff and yeah. I think that's, mm. you know provides happiness in a lot of different ways so that's really cool yeah. um i want to talk about the cheeses yeah. themselves so the the three main cheeses that you guys are known for do you want to do you want to just go through them and just tell us a bit about them i'll ask you a bit about them as we go
0: yeah, sure. So the first one um, is our Bloomy, which is our little wrinkled rind, geotrichum-rinded um, soft cheese. And um, that that cheese really lends itself to the spring milk. So just after the use of lamb, um, when the milk is incredibly sweet, um, that cheese shows up beautifully. And we really created that cheese to show off our milk and to show what we can do here and... and uh, everything that comes from the soil and the pastures and the and the ecosystem is within that cheese it's beautifully it's simple but on the other hand it's incredibly complex and and sweet in its in its mouthfeel and its taste mm.
2: and it goes gooey over time so you so it's so you get that chalky center and the gooey outside and that really beautiful wrinkled rind that we often give a dusting of ash so it highlights those peaks. Mm. So it's a beautiful cheese both inside and out. Mm. Um, because of the way that it's matured, it gives you that really long, creamy mouthfeel. So it's one of those foods that you can have a mouth, uh, t- take, a, take a small piece in your mouth and you can walk away and 20 minutes later you can still, you can still taste the cheese. So mm. it's, it's one of those beautifully um, indulgent soft cheeses. Fantastic! Oh, it's
1: making my mouth water literally. <laughs> um, and the blue
0: and the blue, yeah, the blue. Um, the blue really lends itself to the milk at the moment, actually. Where so we're heading toward the end of our season, and the solids are quite high in the milk, um, and the result in the cheese is that it becomes really rich and creamy. So. The blue becomes quite earthy and mushroomy with little elements of spice and there's little bits of sort of white petal flour there which are really gorgeous. So as a sheep milk blue, it's not at all aggressive. Um, again, it's a lovely sort of complex blue. We don't want to overpower that cheese with cheese making tricks because again, as we've said, the underlying philosophy through all of our cheeses is, is to let that milk shine mm-hmm. through.
2: Fantastic. Um, and uh, the, the other one is our semi-hard cheese. So yeah. it's in it's in the family of European mountain cheeses. So in that family, you've got everything from Tuscan pecorinos to French toms, and cheeses from say Spain like Osorati. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's the the style is almost like a counter uh, a counterpoint to say something like a cheddar. Often a cheddar is um is sharp and crumbly um and it's got all those kind of you know oniony sulfur characters these mountain cheeses usually are, are a little bit softer they've got more of a flexible paste they're grassy they're nutty they're mellow and as they age they get these um these buttery caramelized flavors coming through as well so um you know some of the some of the um uh, some of those Swiss mountain cheeses are made in the same way. Some of those Gruyères, but um, but ours is called Mätza. Mm-hmm. So um, it uh, it's naturally rinded, and then typically we keep it from three to nine months. Always a minimum of minimum of three months, and um, and yeah, it's it's absolutely absolutely delightful. Yeah, especially especially the longer we can keep them,
1: mm-hmm. and. I mean, you've got a few other products, curd and yogurt and things like that, and you you sell, as you said earlier, you sell most of your stuff through through markets and to restaurants, and then
2: you've got a few retailers around the place. Yeah, probably about half of our product goes, um, less than half, little less than half goes through through farmer's markets. Yep. Farmer's markets are really important for us. We, um, we've got one farmer's market in Kayama on a Wednesday, and we also do um, uh, carriage works in in um, in Everleigh, um in Sydney, and also um, and also Northside Produce. Mm-hmm. Um, and those markets are really important to us because one, um, it gives us a, a connection with our with our consumers that become our fr- and they become our friends over time. We see the same people every week. Um, not only not only does it give us connection with consumers but invariably we'll see chefs and there's no other there's no better place to meet chefs for us than a farmers market where we can gently tell our story and if we've got that face to face relationship with people then chances are they'll come back and buy cheeses from us in the in the future mm-hmm. so it's really important it's really important so then, if we then sell our cheese and yogurt to say a, a place like Harris Farm Markets, then then we know that um, then we know that the people that come to us at a at a weekend, we can be saying to them, well, we know you can't make it to the farmers market every week. Mm-hmm. You can always get our yogurt at Harris Farm." Mm-hmm. So the farmers markets support the retail that we do, and. Um, and also, you know, um, the Sydney restaurant scene is just so vibrant, um, and you know we very much see that that's a that's a big part of our business. We want to make cheeses like our fresh curd, like our yogurt, that that restaurants and high end cafes can rely on and use week in mm-hmm. week out, and know that they're going to pump out fantastic product. Yeah with, you know, with good provenance and local connections mm-hmm. to it. So, so yeah, they're the, they're the three arms, probably, probably the, the, um, the, the, um, the, the, restaurant part of our business, we see that that's probably going to grow more, more so than, more so than the others, but also high end retail, there's a lot happening in that space as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, then we'll start looking into state. Yeah. Cool. Um, you find
1: you know meeting chefs and, and meeting the customer at farmers markets the feedback they give you but i guess from chefs from a chef's point of view they can in a way tell you what they're looking for i mean have you has, has any of their feedback does it come into what you do at all or like you know maybe you didn't think about producing a curd or a yogurt or something like that and and people might say you know this is something that i'm looking for but can it can it sort of affect how you, how you produce things or yeah. Have you got a bit of a track that you stick on, and you know people can?
2: Oh, there's a little bit of push and pull, but yeah. But for instance, with that fresh curd, uh, with our fresh curd, we made that specifically for for chefs and yeah. for restaurants. So we know that we needed to make something that was clean, um, something that was soft, and something that was low salt, um, so that so that chefs can so chefs use our. Our curd, our fresh curd, in all sorts of things. Yeah, so, exactly. so without without name dropping too much, <laughs> some somewhere uh, a place like Bondi Icebergs put our fresh curd in zucchini flowers. Yep. Um, Peter Gilmore at Key put our fresh curd in um, in a in a um, in a spring salad with broad beans and fermented K and things Very like that. Very delicate flavors. Very delicate flavors. Um, uh, a restaurant, um, one of those new groovy restaurants called Acme in Sydney, used it with a used our fresh curd in a mushroom lasagna, and of course, someone that we have a deep collaboration with um, is James Viles from Biota, mm-hmm. and um, and James Viles has even used our fresh curd with one of our milk-fed lambs um, to tell the story of our property on a plate. Yeah. So to have those collaborations with with chefs is really important, and um, and for them to be able to trust us to be able to make something perfect every time, like we can with our fresh curd, is really important. And so, and so, yeah. Sort of that's a long way of saying that we had to we had to understand what chefs want or what chefs wanted. Before we started to move towards that market, now fresh curd fits right in the slot because mm-hmm. they it's got so many applications yeah. because it essentially what it's doing is it's adding that that creamy um, that creamy zing, which is a, as a textural element, just provides that extra dimension to yeah. a lot of dishes.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful and it must be it must be rewarding for you guys as well to sort of maybe go to a restaurant like Bode or, or, or wherever and see see your your product on the menu and see how it, how a, a different like different chefs treat it differently and, and and can adapt it you might think you know oh wow i never you know i never thought, thought someone would use it for this application or whatever but yeah it must be rewarding
0: it is absolutely it's um yeah it's just fantastic to see people using it and also because we're so passionate about our product and we just you know it it is our life's work and we spend all of our time and effort producing our beautiful cheeses. So to see um, a chef do something amazing with it and then to have the public be able to appreciate that is really special. Yeah,
1: that's fantastic. Guys, I'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time. It's a, it's pleasure. a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Cressida and Michael McNamara from Picora Dairy. I really enjoyed visiting them getting to know about their sheep and their cheeses and really enjoyed my conversation with them. So if you want to find anything more out about Picora Dairy, you can visit them online at picoradairy.com.au, or you can visit them on social media at Pecorra Dairy on Facebook and on Instagram. If you want to find out more about us, you can visit our website quicksandfood.com or you can find us on social media at quicksandfood on Facebook, and on Instagram. If you want to get any more of these Southern Highlands cookbook episodes of the podcast, you can visit our website, quicksandfood.com, where all of them are available to download for free. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you again next time.